This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Guy Clark here. Welcome along to the Blood Red channel as we bring you a new podcast here on Blood Red as we lift the bonnet on some of your favourite Liverpool contributors' connections with the Reds. Childhood heroes, first Reds memories, those early Anfield days, as well as heartbreaks and nostalgic seasons for the ages. This is my Liverpool. And first up, we have none other than our Liverpool correspondent at the Echo, Paul Gorst. Easy like a Sunday morning. Hey, Gorst, a chance to sit back and reminisce and, uh, I suppose, talk about things that aren't too heavy regarding the Reds. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it's more speaking back to me fandom, isn't it really, this? Um, strange now, covering Liverpool for, for a job, doing it professionally. I'm, I'm not sure whether you feel the same, but you kind of feel a bit removed now as a as a fan. Um, you're obviously more of a a reporter and a journalist and, and whatever else. So it's um, it, it, this will be good to, uh, to to kind of go back to those days when I uh, used to wear Liverpool kits and uh, get my name on the back. Yeah, no, we, we do get asked an awful lot actually about our sort of writers and everything about connections with Liverpool. And as you say, I suppose once it becomes the job and the profession, you do see it from a different side because I suppose growing up for you, it was always, it, it would have been the dream to be covering the Reds if you couldn't, Play for it. Unfortunately, we're not of that standard to be able to. I've seen you down at, at six aside, but we're not sort of good enough to, to to be players. So you think, oh yeah, all I want to do is be the journalist and report on it. But that then is a very different sort of existence, as it were. And we're gonna, as I say, sort of scratch beneath the surface and and talk about your fandom. And I suppose first up, then first question I want to ask you is, who is your Liverpool hero? Who was the player when you were a lad that made you fall in love with the Reds? Yeah, um, I don't think we're too far off the stand the guy, to be fair. We could, uh, <laughs> we could have made it if we had a few more years. But, uh, well, I know the track is like Alisson when we play when I'm in goal, <laughs> so who knows? Yeah, I'm 33 now. I can still play for that role in one-year contract. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think I've, I've answered this one before. I think when I, I first got the job I do now, I think we, we did like a little bit of a get-to-know-the-new-Liverpool-correspondent type of podcast. Um, and Robbie Fowler was my answer. Um Still love Robbie Fowler. I come from the same area as him as Liverpool. You know, my my uh, grandfather actually lived two doors down from his cousins, from his uncle and his cousins. I used to play with his brother and, and his cousins in the streets. And father was was my idol growing up. So it's, it's a bit weird now when I, when I think back about that because it'd be the equivalent of playing football with like Mo Salah's brother or, or whatever, wouldn't it? Um, or Van Dijk or, or whoever. But didn't really think too much about it at the time. It was just like, oh yeah, I, I played with, with Scott and John from two doors up, and Robbie's their brother, and never really twigged. But father was, was always my idol, I'd say. Big hero man, just because he was the main man in the team, and, and also from the same sort of area, fam- families in you know the same area of Liverpool in the South End. So um, yeah, Robbie Fowler was uh, the main man, and um, I spoke to him a few times since. You know, doing this job, and um, I always enjoy just kind of getting five or ten minutes just to have a little chat about football with, with Robbie. And yeah, I'd uh, place him as, as the number one. I was going to say they say don't meet your heroes, but someone I suppose like Robbie Fowler, as you say, now in this job, it it must kind of be sort of pinch me. I know starting out doing this kind of job myself, the, the first thing to get over was kind of getting starstruck by meeting players, but. As I say, the little kid in you must must sort of scream out when you when you do get a chance to to catch up with him. 
Yeah, it's um, you you, um, you you do get used to it to, to kind of speaking to to these famous people, don't you? It's um, it is just a part of the job, and it's obviously great to, to do it. But you, you kind of there's that there's that sheen for me. I think where you're there to do a job, whatever it is you're doing, and, and you don't you don't become starstruck. You just do your job. Um, but it's um, it, it's always good to to have a little chat to Robbie Fowler. I was speaking to him. About six weeks or so ago at Melwood, because obviously him and Jamie Carragher have teamed up to, to purchase Melwood, haven't they? And, and they had almost like a bit of a press conference. And the journalist there got 10 minutes with, with Robbie and, and Jamie at the end of it. And yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a it's a surreal one, particularly for Fowler, just because of, of, as I say, when I was growing up, he was the my favourite player and, and my hero and all that kind of stuff. But uh, generally, I, 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 don't know, I don't know how you feel about it, but there is a kind of professionalism that exists there now when, when you see these famous faces and and uh, you are there to, to do a job um but yeah it, it's, it's always great to talk to Robbie Fowler yeah yeah definitely I think once you realize everyone's got sort of two eyes and nose and everything else that, that goes with it that we're all human that yeah they're they're maybe not quite the star they once were but in terms of Robbie Fowler then and him being your hero when you think back now to watching him what is the game the moment that kind of immediately sort of springs to mind because as we, we've often discussed about him on the Blood Red podcast, there isn't really that trademark Fowler goal because yes, he could bludgeon the ball into the back of the net, but he also kind of with those free kicks could curl them in from the edge of the box, the overheads. There's all sorts of, of different finishes that he was capable of. Yeah, he was unbelievable, wasn't he? He was, um, people always say about Robbie Fowler, he was, he was a natural finisher and, and, I think he said himself that he kind of bristles at that because, you know, we work hard at it. He practised it. He trained for years and years to become this good. And, of course, it was a natural talent, but he worked hard at it too. And, yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a type of, like, an archetypal foul goal, was there? You know, the first few that come to me head was probably the one against Bram Bergen where he, he um, meets a throw-in with a back heel, takes him past the defender, and then he just kind of rifles it low into the bottom corner. There's the... The one where he does the back heel through Steve Thornton's legs against Aston Villa and then 25 yards curls it in. There's the two against United, um, at Old Trafford, where he sends Gary Neville for the echo and then he beats Peter Schmeichel at his near post. And then I think another one is possibly with his right foot. Um, right foot, left foot, headers, particularly when he come on when he when he was first coming into the team early on when he was 19, 20, he had a good turn of pace. Um yeah, he had everything, particularly in those early days. Um, it's just a shame that he got one or two bad injuries throughout the course of his career and um, probably doesn't have the honours list that his, um, his talent deserved. And, and he didn't actually make his England debut until 96. You think about how quickly players get called up these days. They only have to have a good two or three months and they're in the England squad, aren't they? This was different time. Loads of number nines, weren't they? Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, Fowler. Stan Collymore was obviously one, and Teddy Sheringham was almost a, a shoe-in for that England spot next to Shearer. So he, he probably didn't get the England caps either, but um, one of the best English strikers of the last 30, 40 years, certainly. Now, I remember early days when I started on, on Blood Red and we were in the office, halcyon days that they were. And that goal you mentioned sort of in Europe was, I think it was an anniversary of it or something. And as I walked past, she said, guy, guy, come over, watch this, watch this. It's one of my favourite Liverpool goals. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I hadn't seen it before. It is an absolute beauty. But uh, in terms of then sort of favourite Liverpool player that you've seen, is that Fowler as well? Or I suppose even from the current crop now, watching the likes of, of Salah mm -hmm. and such? 
Yeah, it, it's, it really is a, a special time to be watching Liverpool because you can probably pick about half a dozen from the current team. It's certainly the best Liverpool team that, that I've ever seen. Um, Suarez, in terms of ability and everything that went into that, you know, he was he was a competitor, didn't ever miss a game. He was just a genius of a footballer. Um, he's certainly one who, who shouldn't, you know, should have won more at Liverpool. I'm not actually sure he did. Um, did he win anything? Did, yeah, did he, he won the league the cup. Yeah, Carlton Cup, yeah, the League yeah, Cup 2012, yeah. yeah. But um, he, he should have won more, more than, you know, could have won the Premier League, couldn't he, in 2014, almost got Liverpool there with his 31 goals. Uh, obviously, Steven Gerrard for his, his longevity, um, on top of him being just a once-in-a-lifetime footballer. You know, he could do anything, couldn't he, Steven Gerrard? Um, so I'd probably place those two um, in there. Um, I'll go with Gerrard just over Suarez just because... You know, it was the best part of 20 years, wasn't he, that he was a Liverpool player. Um, and Virgil van Dijk's the best defender I've ever seen at, um, at Liverpool. So, um, yeah, supporters are quite blessed at the moment to be watching this team. It is important as well, isn't it, with Liverpool, that local affinity. You've mentioned Robbie Fowler and, and Steven Gerrard. And Gerrard, obviously, the, the career he had. And I suppose even during those times when Liverpool maybe financially didn't have the muscle to compete with the likes of Chelsea and Manchester United, the team was probably a bit below that of Arsenal's in sort of the, the early mid two thousands. But always in Gerrard had a player that on any given day could win a game. I mean, as he did the FA Cup final in two thousand and six. Yeah, yeah, um, it, was, it was unbelievable, wasn't he? He was. It's, it's hard to, to add anything new on on, on this, the yeah. career of Steven Gerrard. He's just a, a once in a lifetime, as I say, he could play. Central midfield, he moved up as a number 10 a little later in his career. He played the whole season on the right wing under Rafa Benitez. He'll play right back if he had to. Um, just, he could do anything. He could do anything as a footballer. He, he just had everything to need, you know, left foot, right foot. Great tackler. Incredible passer. Could score from any, any angle. Great shot. Um, not bad in the air, when he had to be. Um, yeah, and, and as you say, it was the best part of 20 years. I think it was 17 years of his career from start to finish at Liverpool. Um, obviously, took over the captaincy in 2003, um, handed it over to Jordan Henderson in 2015. So that, that's a long time to have that kind of um, responsibility, you know, the Liverpool captain's armband. Um, but uh, what, what a career. He, he, I think he scored in, in every cup final. I think, he's, I think he might even be the only player to have done that. You know, League Cup, FA Cup. European Cup, UEFA Cup, um, just a superstar of a footballer and, and uh, what I give now to see him come back almost as a football manager, regen if you like, and come through on the end clap over the next three or four years. Um, just a, a special footballer, really. He is, I suppose, also a dying breed, isn't he? Of the way in which football now is so, it's a number six, it's a number eight, it's a number yeah. ten, it's two eight, two sort of go box to box, whatever. I suppose their generational type players before him, I suppose the one you would have to go back to, probably Brian Robson, albeit played for, for Manchester United, not a popular opinion maybe to to throw out on the Blood Red podcast, but that kind of Roy of the Rovers type player who could do absolutely everything. And now, just as I say, it, it's kind of coached out of young players. It's you no know, be an attacking midfielder, be a defensive midfielder. Stephen Gerrard didn't care. Yeah, well, he, he, I'd say that, that that was the thing about him, wasn't he? He could do what 
whatever he wanted and whatever a manager wanted. Um, I'm a bit too young to remember Brian Robson, but um, yeah. I can't really think of any other comparison. Frank Lampard, obviously, he's always the one who's put alongside Gerard Disney, and um, I, I don't, I don't think he would, I don't think he had everything that Gerard had. I think, he, I think he scored more goals than Gerard. He was a bit more of a, of a goal scorer in midfield, played in better teams for the majority of his career. Let's face it, but um, there wasn't too many others like Steven Gerrard who could. Defend, get forward, be the difference maker. You know, just I think there was a time actually um, on the Echoes pages and round about 2003, maybe 2002, three, four. Uh, the Liverpool correspondent at the time, Chris Bascom, just stopped stopped giving the man of the matches to Gerard. He was just giving it to other people, and be basically because well, he's getting it every week and it's getting a bit boring now saying Stephen Gerrard's man of the match. So he was actually looking for. Other players, if another player had, had had a good game, then he was getting man of the match. Even if Gerard had, you know, been the star of the show as he most as he was most weeks, um, just just a possibly a bit of a shame that he, he played in some teams that weren't vintage Liverpool teams. Uh, he obviously played in that 2001 campaign where he really come through and made his name that year, didn't he? I think he might have got PFA Young Player of the Year actually that year. Um, but particularly towards the end of of Julier's time um, and then towards the end of, of um, Rafa Benitez's time really. they were great Liverpool teams really and by the time Brendan Rodgers' team were up and flying he was kind of coming towards the twilight he, he was still an important cog in the team but he wasn't Steven Gerrard from 2005 was he he was a bit more of a drawn role and, and the likes of Suarez and Sturridge um, Coutinho were kind of lighting, lighting her up so um that might be a little bit of a of a blemish, but what 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 a career he had, you know, an absolute tour de force of a footballer, and um, we'll go a long time before we see someone as good as him. I think. Yeah, two thousand eight nine season as well with him, sort of Mascherano yeah. and yeah. Alonso in, in the midfield, but also at times even then pushed out on the right hand side, always kind of sacrificed himself for what was better, maybe for the team at times, even with players maybe not up to to his level. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's get on though then to your really early Liverpool memories. We mentioned your childhood hero, but sort of this time, first memories of, of going to Anfield and sort of first signings, the first bits of glitz and glam that you kind of remember, whether it be, I suppose, waking up and seeing the back page of the Echo and, oh, Liverpool have signed him or on the radio or whatever it was, sort of those early, early memories that you remember. Do you know what? I actually don't remember what my first Liverpool game was. I remember David James being in goal and I remember him being well way out of his area, almost kind of at the edge of the day on the centre circle. Um because the Liverpool were on the attack. But I couldn't tell you what game it was or you know, anything. I couldn't tell you what year. I always remember that though, but I couldn't tell you my first Liverpool game. Um I've normally got a good memory for stuff like this as well. Um in terms of signings and, and whatever else, um, Patrick Berger coming was a bit of a big deal, wasn't it? I think it was at 96. Um, yeah, it's the back of the year, yeah. Um, do, she, I just seem to remember a bit of a big deal being made of him being like, you know, a bit of a good-looking hunk of a footballer signing up for Liverpool. I seem to remember that being a, a bit of a thing. Did he do some sort of unveiling with, with like a, a model at the time, a Liverpool model or something? Um, but when he when he signed, it was a bit of a um, who's this you know exotic foreigner that they've just got in. I think he come from Dortmund, and 
Um, he was a star. He had a great left foot. He, he was another one who could play in pretty much anywhere across the front. Wouldn't really know where you'd put Patrick Berger nowadays if you were playing in like the modern formations. He could score. Remember a hat trick against Chelsea. Um, lovely, one of them was a lovely finish. Just kind of cushioned it over at the Hoy, I think it was in goal. Um, so I remember him being a bit of a bit of a you know a. Uh, a star from overseas, um, because Liverpool generally didn't didn't have too many of them. Did they at the time? It was a lot. It was a British core for so long. You know, a lot, a lot of Scottish heritage throughout the club. Like of McManaman and Fowler, obviously come through the academy. Ian Rush was was obviously just from down the road in Colwyn Bay, I think, and um, had a couple of of um, Scandinavians thinking of Bjorn Obi and or even Leonardson and Bjorn Army. But I always remember Berger being a bit of a. Um, you know, kind of like a stereotypical, like getting excited by a foreign player you don't really know too much about, but you, you've seen him playing for the Czechs in the Euros and whatever. And I always remember that being a bit of a thing. But that was even that. That was like '96, wasn't it? So, um, not not too much jumps out at me in, in the early years of the '90s, unless there's someone I'm missing. No, I was just going to say that that is that's one of the things, though, isn't it, of the '90s that kind of that second half of that decade began to obviously then really feel and realise the pull of the Premier League and all yeah. of a sudden these kind of guys were coming in and off the back of a European Championship played in this country and we see it now, don't we? Obviously, there's such a clamour on social, certainly social media as soon as anyone's kind of getting anywhere near yeah. to signing, you know far better than I, your notifications get absolutely hammered as to what is going on, what's the announcement going to be, this, that and the other. Whereas... I think even throwing a long way forward, I suppose, to 2007, 11 years on, that was kind of with, with Fernando Torres, one of the last real ones I remember. Obviously, they did it for Suarez and Carroll as well on that deadline day. But kind of the last real times you sort of saw the players going to Anfield for the first time with the scarf mm -hmm. above their heads. Yeah, that, that was that was a, a big thing, wasn't it? Um, United did it the other day, didn't they, with Rafa Varane? And that seemed yeah. to go down quite well. Um, you know, it's just get light on the pitch in front of the fans. Um, you'd like to see more of that. But, um, yeah, Torres, Torres was certainly one of those. Um, I think Dan Kay covered that for the Echo back in 20, uh, 2007, and that was a big deal, wasn't it? £20 million striker coming in from Spain, Atletico Madrid, everyone knew who he was. He was he was a European calibre striker coming in, and he just hoped that he was going to be the one who could push Liverpool on. And, and he did, to be fair. He had an incredible first season. And, um you know, scored goals for fun for, for two or three years at the pool. Um, but yeah, Torres was a big one. Um, Suarez and Carroll on the same day was was a bit of a strange one because obviously Torres was leaving and that was a bit of a bitter exit. But um, yeah, Torres was was a big one for that. Um, but even got, even going back to when they signed Stan Collymore, they broke the transfer record for Collymore for eight and a half million. He, he was he was still English. He was an English striker. You, you knew you'd, you'd watch them at Nottingham Forest, and um, so you knew kind of what you were getting. Um, so I, I always do think of, of Berger being the one where you didn't really know what he was like, but a, but a big deal was made of it, and you were you were watching everything to to see what he was like. And um, yeah, um, I, I can't really think of, of, of anyone before him. No, I was going to say I can't. I can't sort of seem to. I can't seem to sort of think of, as you say, kind of that foreign signing who you didn't really have access to foreign 
leagues on the TV or the internet hadn't quite taken off. And as you say, you know, you know, you should be excited about this player, and it's more the excitement of actually, oh, this guy's a magical player who's coming from a land far away who's going to kind of put Liverpool back on top type thing, as opposed to, I suppose, as you say, with Torres when he came, there was there'd been noise around him for a good while from kind of the continent. I, I suppose a bit later, I don't know. Obviously, it didn't go well for him. But El Juf was kind of a player who, through the 2002 World Cup, it was watching the deal had been done just beforehand. It was watching him thinking, I might have a player on, on, on our hands here. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way at all. But no, Berger, I think, uh, yeah, interesting one. Interesting. Um, okay, then, what about flipping that then right onto the other way? Heartbreaks. I mean, Liverpool have had their few, certainly, I suppose. Your time growing up as... A young red, Steve McManaman running his contract down and going. Robbie Fowler, your hero, moving off to Leeds United after sort of seemingly being frozen out by Gerard Houllier. And even later, I suppose, Michael Owen kind of repeating the McManaman trick, albeit the Reds did get a fee for him. Yeah, there's, there's plenty, isn't there? Um, I remember yeah. the 1996 FA Cup final, getting beat by United. That was a tough one. Um I was I was I was close to when Owen left in two thousand and four. I think I was I think I was sixteen. Um and it was a it was a big one in terms of remember Rafa Benitez leaving him out in the, that game against AK Garatz, was it in the Champions League qualifier? And I think that was the writing on the wall there that he's gonna be leaving. And I remember being really gutted about that. Obviously disappointed when Fowler left, particularly going to Leeds and, and he he's just picked up where he left off, didn't he? He was he was great for Leeds when he first signed. Um but yeah, it's a bit close. Carol coming in was, but I never got too, too disappointed, too gutted. Um, I I always remember the the, the Owen one being, being a sore one, but generally, um, players leaving, it was kind of, it's not great, but you know, Liverpool will always be in there in the hunt for the for the next big thing and, and top players. Um, but I do remember Owen being a, a particularly tough one in August 2004, particularly as Benita has just come in and you're hoping that you can keep the star man and, and really push on with, with the new manager and whatever else. And then he packs his bags and off he goes to Real Madrid. Um, so, yeah, that, that that was a hard one to take. What about then the, the title chases? I suppose that's more really where the heartbreak <clears throat> sort of sits in, especially being sort of a young lad in the, in the city as well, hoping to see Liverpool end this wait for a league title because I mean taking it from from our chats all of your Liverpool supporting career I say career sort of supportership as it were growing up before you started the the, the profession and were there obviously to see Liverpool lift the title was all about that wait for winning the Premier League it was um, 2014 was probably the, the tough one for that um there was a buzz about the city at the time and in the spring of 2014 Liverpool were really swashbuckling the way towards the title where they were beating Arsenal, they were beating United, they were beating Everton, Tottenham all convincingly and it looked like they were going to do it. Um, and I always remember just being like a, a real good atmosphere around the city at the time. Um, everyone thought that they were going to do it. And I remember thinking that this is what it must have been like in the 80s. You know, Liverpool really pushing on for the league, looking like they're going to be the champions and it must have always been like this. And then we know what happened. Liverpool didn't win the, didn't, the league, did they? So that was a, a really tough one. Um, just because 
No one had really expected it. Um, I think if Liverpool missed out on the on the Premier League now, you'd look at it and think, yeah, so far but Liverpool are, are good enough to go again. Sort of when they didn't win it in 2019, you know, they missed out by a point, but you knew that this was a team who could go and win it the following season, and they did. With Brendan Rodgers' team, it come from nowhere, it was unexpected, and then Suarez left, and you thought, well, that's probably set Liverpool back a few years now in terms of progress, and they might not be challenging quite so... You know, as forcefully as they had done the season before, and, and so approved Liverpool squandered the the money on players who weren't good enough. And you know, I'd say it took them. That's probably a turning point in Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool career, to be honest. Um, so yeah, twenty thirteen fourteen, um, and all kind of disintegrated within ten days. The near week, you know, Chelsea, and then the Palace draw, and then by then you knew City weren't going to slip up. So that was a that that was a, a very difficult one, yeah. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It was all kind of building for Liverpool at different times, wasn't it? Under Julier, it was sort of 2002 time after, obviously the year after the treble. And then what happened with him happened sadly for him and never really quite got it back. Then Benitez came in and won the Champions League, won the FA Cup. The the, the points difference to the leaders was getting cut year by year. 2009 happened and... For me, one of the games that always kind of sticks in my mind from a Liverpool perspective about that Benitez era was the game at Birmingham when Torres was brought off and everyone was just looking around, what's going on here? Finished seventh that season. And then it was five years later, as you say, that this Rodgers team then came from effectively nowhere after kind of, um, well, through the season, kind of built through it, didn't they? And as you say, after beating Arsenal 5-1 at Anfield, it was kind of, this is definitely on. It's there for the taking. It can happen. And then how it crumbled so quickly showed you that Liverpool, always feeling as though it was a slow build to get there, could be snatched from sort of within your own hands in the blink of an eye. Yeah, and then it was it was sort of, well, what have they got to do to win this win this league title, this mythical title? It was about twenty four years at the time. They were beating teams left and right, weren't they? They were playing some of the best football I've ever seen Liverpool play. Sterling was emerging as a, as a real force and I think he had the World Cup later that summer. Um, Suarez was the best player in the Premier League, one of the best in the world. Um, Gerrard was still pulling the strings. Henderson was emerging, taking on real leadership and responsibility. Sturridge had the best career of his season. Um, he was just the best season of his career, I think you mean. Sorry, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> um, he was one of the, he was becoming one of the best strikers in, in Europe at the time. He was injury free and it really looked like they were going to go and do it. And then obviously we know that that didn't happen. And um, ultimately Liverpool lost that because of, because of you know the amount of goals they conceded. I think they scored 101, but they conceded 50. Um, and if you if you're doing that, you're not going to win the league. You know, Liverpool shouldn't have conceded three goals at Crystal Palace. They had to score five to beat Cardiff a few months earlier. Um, five three, I think that one ended up. They, they were just they were shooting six three, sorry, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, they were, I think it might have been two down against Swansea, and, and had to come back and, and win that one. They were they were just conceding too many goals, and ultimately that is what um, let them down. But for uh, for a few months there, particularly the spring, you know, March, April time. You got caught up in it and it looked like they were going to do it. And there was, as I say, there was a real atmosphere around the city at the time. I remember it well. And just didn't quite happen for them. We were made to wait, um, what, six, six years for it? But <laughs> they got there in the end. Yeah, they definitely did get there in the end and now have a team that, as you say, feels as though it's going to be 
at that kind of level for hopefully a long time uh, to come. Right, last one then, your favourite season. If you could go back and kind of watch through one season day by day and soak it all in and live through the eyes of supporter Paul Gorst one more time, which which campaign would you be picking? As I say, I really did love that 13-14 season, even, even you know, despite the way it ended. I always look back on that one and think fondly of it just because of, you know, the... the, the um, as, as I say, guy, I've mentioned it a few times. I just it's the atmosphere in the city. It was just, I mean, everyone was really, you know, enjoying themselves, and everyone just seemed to be on on the ride with with, with the team. Um, but it's hard to overlook the 2019-20 season, isn't it? Even with the three month gap for the uh, the worldwide pandemic, um, the Liverpool win kind of steamrolling teams in that season. There was a lot of Mental strength shown throughout that season to to get to where they were. But if you look at some of the high points of that season, the uh, the, the last minute winner of Villa Park, the hammering of Manchester City, um, the Everton, Leicester at Anfield, Leicester, uh, Leicester Anfield. Yeah, that thing that was in like the October the last minute penalty. Yeah, yeah. Boxing Day, Leicester was, was the high point four nil. Um, Speaking to uh, to Sam Federici about that yesterday, actually, because he covered it with me, Boxing Day. Um, he doesn't go. He doesn't stop going on about the food in the press box. No, Sam. He, no he said he he he's, he's covered three Liverpool games and he, and he won them all four 0 So I said, you, you can have my seat for the derby. <laughs> you can do the better. Um, yeah, just that season, incredible. You know, my, my first year in, in the job as well, um, and then I go and see Liverpool win the Premier League by. 18 points, absolutely walked it. Um, best team in, in the world at the time. With the trophy to prove it as well, the Club World Cup, Liverpool's first ever one. It didn't, didn't go to Qatar, do you went, but um, that, what, a, what a kind of experience that was for Liverpool. You know, you've got to win the Champions League to, to even be in it. And then off you are mid-season winning another trophy, playing teams who you've never played before, Monterey. And obviously, it's a bit of history with Flamengo, but... Um, just everything about that season, incredible. Um, and then seeing the pool lift it, being one of the, the 500 in Anfield that night in, in July to see them lift the Premier League title was a bit of a pinch myself and have I managed to fluke my way into this moment. Um, I think uh, I'll do well to have another career moment like that. I think a personal highlight and um, yeah, it's going to be... Um, a familiar tweet every year when, when they, that's the anniversary of, of that night. Um, incredible night. Yeah, definitely. I don't think you're going to see a team win 26 of their opening 27 league games yeah. again either. But, uh, I mean, those two seasons, even when you, I suppose, put them alongside each other and contrast them, you kind of got the unlikely lads who just want to go out and outscore everyone because maybe quite didn't quite have that quality. But the quality being, actually, that they didn't need to do that and have that control and that ability to just win no matter what. Because as you say, even even at Villa Park that day, I, I remember being in the office covering the game, that you kind of felt that actually, until that final whistle goes, Liverpool are somehow going to win this match. Yeah, it, it was just, the, just the, the character of the team. You never really felt like they were going to lose, no matter what was staring them in the face. And, and if you look at the you look at the results across that season, um, it just shows you how kind of strong they were. You know, the, most wins were by one goal. Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Leicester, 
Um, so many results were kind of out of hard work and sheer bloody mindedness, really, as just as much as the quality. Um, so it wasn't a, you know, if you look back at the season, it wasn't like a, like the way 13 14 was in terms of, oh, they absolutely battered Arsenal and then they went to Old Trafford and put them to the sword and they, they hammered Everton. They did hammer Everton actually in the December, but um, it was more just, as you say, control, a bit of a um, pragmatic quality to it on top of the, the, the quality of the players. You, you could always just do enough to make sure that they got the three points and they moved on. Um, say there was that draw at Old Trafford, wasn't it? But between August and the end of February, when they lost to, to Wofford, they were the only two points he dropped, um, which is unbelievable, really. You know, when, when will we see that happen again? Probably never will, will we? Um, Five points of Liverpool have dropped by by the beginning of March. Um, I was just a bit disappointed they never went and gone went and won. You know, got a hundred points. I think they finished on ninety nine. Yeah, kind of tailed off, didn't it? Once they'd won the league, um, they, were, they were getting a kind of guard of honour. You know, for seven games, seven, that's unreal. You know, a team gets a guard of honour. It's normally two, three, and a push. Seven games, twenty one points where they didn't need to play for them. Um, so yeah, that was just a, a special season to be covering it and to you know. To be talking about it, you know, with the likes of us on, on the podcast and whatever, pretty much every week talking about Liverpool winning, what was good about it. It became a bit, not boring, but it was just a bit, it's like speaking to players in the mix zones, there was nothing new to talk about really. It's just, oh yeah, you've, you've won again, you know, that must be good. Um, just because of how kind of machine-like that they were. Yeah, dog's even wanting to have his say. But <laughs> yeah. that, that is all we've got time for here on this edition of My Liverpool New Podcast here on the Blood Red channel. Do let us know what you think about it, wherever it is you get your audio on demand. If you want to leave us a rating and review, and as I say, let us know what you think about it and which other members of the desk you would like to hear their affinities and connections to the Reds with. But from myself, Guy Clark and Paul Gorse, thanks for joining us here on Blood Red. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.